This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, this is Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by United legend Paul Parker to talk over another eventful week at the club. How are you doing, Paul? You all right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you very much, Wayne. Good, and um, yes, if you are watching the YouTube version, you are also noticing the presence of another legend, not on the pitch, but off the pitch, Paddy Barclay. How are you doing, Paddy? You all right? I'm very well, thanks, but I did actually play... Um, it would be a lie to say that I ever reached the standard of Paul Parker um, or even to reach the standard of his toenails. But um, I did play. I did play for the, the Guardian in Manchester many, many years ago. It was bloody awful. But anyway. <laughs> As I say, a legend off the pitch rather than on it, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yes. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your questions and comments in. If you're watching the replay, say hello. Do feel free to comment. We do reply. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, be sure to give us a subscription and review on the platform you're listening on. Before we kick off, I'm just going to give a quick plug for my book that's out this week, Duncan Edwards' Eternal Biography. It's out on Thursday. Really um, made up with all the advanced sort of feedback so far. So And, and everyone who's supporting it, really, really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. And... Thank you for your patience while I continue to plug it. That's the work of an independent author. you got to keep doing that. Um, all right, so let's talk about Manchester United. Paddy, I'll come to you first. Um, United, have, they won against Leeds. They drew against them in the midweek, um, mm. having come from 2-0 down and, and controlled the game in, in a roundabout way yesterday. I want to really come to you, because it's been a while since I've talked to you. I want to yeah. get your opinion. For a little while yesterday, United were second after winning the game. Albeit, you know, the other teams have got games in hand over them. So, it, I still don't know if it's a false position, but it's a very strong position for United to be in. How, how do you assess the overall job done by Eric Ten Hag so far? Very good indeed. I, I mean, I did uh, fear that the overall... Uh, sort of culture in the dressing room or, and the training ground at Manchester United would def- <clears throat> might defeat him the way it defeated, you know, Van Gaal, Mourinho, Moyes, you know, um, Solskjaer and everybody else. But uh, uh, it looks like uh, the, the club's got it right. 
Um, certainly on the field now. I think Den Haag's done a tremendous job. Um, and what is even more encouraging from the Manchester United point of view is that as Manchester United make progress, several of the clubs with whom they would seek to compete, uh, Manchester City, Chelsea, are going through becalmed periods, shall we say, uh, Liverpool, um, perhaps most dramatically, uh, well, second most dramatically to Man City. All of these clubs, with the possible exception of, well, with the definite exception of Newcastle United, um, <clears throat> are going through dodgy periods, which makes it, uh, you know, possible that the old new order will return, uh, that Manchester United will once uh, again, within a year, uh, be where they want to be it's very encouraging i don't you know i looking at it from outside i can you probably don't want to tempt fate and, and maybe paul will will feel the same that you know not to count chickens you know fill in cliche of choice but um I, I i can definitely see that manchester united are heading back to where everybody connected with the club would want them to be yeah I, i'm interested in your opinion on this to be fair because we've between us how much we've analysed and covered the Busby to the current era yeah. in writing and, and podcasts and everything like that. Results are one thing. What do you think about the, the level of performance? Does it look, is it starting to look like a Manchester United team? Is it, do you want me to talk? Yeah, sorry, I beg your pardon. Um, yeah, I, I don't think so, no. I don't think the squad's strong enough. I think Den Haag made remarks about that uh, in the build-up, uh, sorry, between the two Leeds games, uh, or perhaps before the first one, that this, this, the squad's nowhere near uh, where they would want it to be. I mean, bear in mind, Manchester United want to be the best club in the world. So, and, and frankly, I, you know, most of the players in that squad are, are not of that standard. Um, so, they, they, they need to start getting recruitment right. That's absolutely fundamental. The, the coaching, to me, now Paul, you know, Barker is much better equipped to, to, to look at the technicality, but to me, the, the, the coaching looks good. There's the definitely a zip about it that there wasn't before. Most, most obvious in, in, in the individual performances magnificent individual performances of Marcus Rashford, but also in others. Um, for me, Wan-Bissaka is, is, is the player that they bought rather than the player that um, appeared to be a bit of an imposter. So it, it, it's definitely getting, it looks to be getting right. It's the whole <coughs> that, needs, that, needs to, that needs to change. Um, and in particular, the recruitment policies, which were a disaster, an absolute disaster, a disgrace under Woodward, in in my opinion. Yeah, strong words, and it's hard <coughs> to disagree with that. Paul, on a general, I mean, Paddy's talking on a general aspect, I want to talk about Leeds. Obviously, it's been a little bit difficult to ascertain, you know, where United are in terms of like an overall standing position, because obviously they've got Ericsson injured, Casemiro's uh, been out suspended, and there's this whole rotation aspects. Leeds, the, the two games were absolutely chaotic, really. Um, they, they sort of got to grips with it at some point on on Wednesday night, but against them yesterday was a bit 
frustrating in the second half in particular because, I mean, did United ever have control of it? Did they ever lose control of it? I'm not sure what to make from it because you look at it and you say, all right, for 25 minutes of that second half yesterday, it seemed like what United were doing were playing from the back. Everyone was passing to Maguire and then it was going backwards and forwards to Maguire and the only way that that passage of play stopped was when Maguire hit a long crossfield pass give the ball to Leeds only to start that entire process again. Now, they didn't close open that many times. I'm not saying that was a, a game plan or a good game plan, but it did slow the game down and took some of that sting out of it that we saw on Wednesday night, the, the <coughs> energy of it. And then Ten Hag makes the necessary changes that, that change the game and win it for us in the last 20 minutes. So um, in one respect, I'm looking at it thinking that's kind of genius game management. But when I'm watching, yeah, when I'm watching it, but I can see your face. When I'm watching it, I'm definitely <laughs> not thinking that. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, United win 2-0. If you watch the highlights on a sort of six-minute little cut thing, you've seen United with some good chances and they've won the game. But um, what did you make of it yesterday? You've done well with six minutes, by the way. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> um, first thing when first thing when I watched, I started talking after the first couple of minutes, and I think it happened. I thought the pitch was very slow, seemed very lush the pitch, and both well, especially United, and the way they the way they were playing, it showed because there was a few short passes. They they couldn't get the weight of the pass. You think yourself that would tell you not to actually to overpass, yeah. but they kept doing it. Harry Maguire kept running with the ball. You don't run with the ball when the pitch is lush like that, not in your defensive areas. I think everyone knew when Harry Maguire started that United were going to sit deeper and all of a sudden United went got back to playing how they were when he was playing regularly. Very slow, over deliberate, if there is such such a phrase. It was it was ponderous. Ponderous. Mm -hmm. It was it was watching it was it was terrible. You could see that Luke Shaw tried to move the ball quick as possible, but he kept slowing it down. He only got better when Martinez come on. As soon as he come on, you could see the ball just went bang and just everything happened. And and when United were struggling, they were struggling, to be perfectly honest. Leeds had worked so hard, you know, they put everything into it because we know it, it's their cup final. And I'm looking now straight away, I'm kind of their work and I kind of look at the bench, think myself, how can... What's going to ha how can he change it? I knew what the answer was. He can't change it offensively because there wasn't too much he could trust and maybe Granacho was the only one he could really bring on. The rest of it, there was no guarantees. So what does he do? He makes a, he makes a change at the back as well. And that helped steady it. And then he saw that everything shifted and look, it looked, everything took shape the moment he made that change in the back line, to yeah. be perfectly honest. And as... Initially, if you'd have said to me six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, um, about right back, Dallow was going to be right back. But I look at it now, and as Patrick um, just kind of just, just bit on a little bit, is that Wan Bissaka has come back. He is the player that Manchester United got for near 50 million from Crystal Palace. There's a, he is, his game has improved so much. And mm -hmm. I think that is which is incredible, I'm going to say this, but I think everyone has said it, and I think it was mentioned by a departing player. He, he said that he, when he went to United, he never got coached. I think now Wan-Bissaka has been coached. Mm -hmm. People have talked to him about his positions. People have talked to him about when he's <coughs> on the ball, 
to the way mm. to the way he was trying to play on the ball, to the way he's playing now. He's a one and two touch player. His, his body shape is is Viv Anderson. Viv Anderson was control mm. pass move, and Wampasaka's playing that defensively. You don't see him on his backside so many times now. He's learned a bit of patience. He knows he can get there, and he has done. You know his mm. his percentage on tackles must be about 90, 99 out of a hundred. Yeah. But now he's now he's virtually going hundred out of a hundred because he's not diving in all the time. He's nicking balls off of people's toes and going forward rather than being on his backside. Not that he was he was always caught at he, he was always decent at that. But he's just everything about him has moved on. The team has got a structure. And I was a little bit worried when I saw that back four. I still think he had good reason to be on quite a few occasions, to be perfectly honest. But he stuck his neck, neck out. He thought about the game on Thursday. He knew that he wanted both of these centre-halves, his, his two best centre-halves, prepared for that game. So he left them out. And in what everyone knows is a big, big game for Leeds yeah. United. So he needed to make sure that was right. And we have to say he got it right in the end. Yeah. Um, if it had been a nil-nil again... You know, it would have been disappointing, but they'd have had a run still going. Leeds wouldn't have beaten Manchester United as they're desperate to. But he got it right, working with bare bones, because I think if you look at it, Manchester United have got, if you look at them as a squad, really, they're playing with a squad of, what, 14 players? Yeah. You could put yeah. your hand, you could turn, put your hand in your heart and say, if that was a fault, you couldn't really go much better. But the problem is when you're the only side going, <laughs> on four fronts at this moment in time yeah. you know I don't know how, how it has really turned round because back when we was you know when I was playing you know we had squads of 16 players guaranteed if mm. you were starting to go for any more everyone would question you was called greedy and you had too much money but now <laughs> if you haven't got 30 players there's something wrong your squad's not good enough you need a bigger squad bigger yeah. squads bigger squad means more there's more potential potential of a players knocking on the manager's door and you get more happiness out of a smaller squad and I think you'll find you'll get players who'll dig in more because especially when you're winning because they want to play in winning teams mm. and it's amazing how many not so many injuries you get now as well there's always yeah. the one player at United who does get injuries but the rest of them want to play every single game and there isn't many better places to be as being in the winning team, the Manchester United, because the vibe is incredible. Those yeah. players, when they left that ground yesterday, would have absolutely just had a big, just a big smile in their face because that is a, a big win for them. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think Martinez, by the way, is suspended on Thursday, so I think that's the reason why yeah. I played show from the start. Um, but is, yeah, you're right, yeah. But, you know, when he made the change and put Shaw wide and put Martinez on and he brings Garnacho on, puts Rashford up top and puts Vegas as a number 10, it strangely works. It's, it's you know, United are like a knife through butter for the last sort of 10 minutes. Rashford scores a great goal, um, magnificent header. Garnacho um, puts the afterburners on, gets beyond the full-back and scores a fantastic finish. And then Vegas um, has a goal disallowed for offside. Now, all right, we've won the game. I'm happy with that, um, and we don't need to analyse that too much because I think you've both done it pretty well there. But I do want to talk about this goal that's disallowed for offside. I don't want to be too grumpy about it, but we've talked about refereeing decisions over the last sort of week or two weeks, really. 
it's disallowed for offside, but Maguire doesn't touch the ball. The ball, when it comes over, it's the Leeds player's hand and then bounces to Vegas. So he's the the goal's given as offside on the basis that the ball has moved towards Vegas, but it's been moved by the Leeds player's hand. I'm not saying that's a penalty, but the goal's got to stand. Um, Paul, people aren't talking about it because United won 2-0, but... I mean, that was just one in a litany of poor decisions again over the weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, I'll, to be perfectly honest, I think was it was our 16, 17 years in football, playing football. And then there was times as a kid. And at this moment in time, I'm really struggling with the rules. Really, really struggling. We think we've brought a system in which has opened the rules up a little bit more. There's more words added to it. Yeah. And every time you listen to a referee, you, you might just like it's like doctors will protect doctors and referees will protect other referees. Mm. Now, could they say that because of his starting position, that he was interfering, he was affecting the goalkeeper by being in that offside position? So even if the ball didn't come off Harry Maguire, he was offside. But there, there'd be some reason for it. There'd be no apology. No one would look for it, as you said, because United won the game. But if it is proven that they got that wrong, they still should be they should be apologising for that. It's yeah. as simple as that. So I really I I don't know how to go it. I mean, I was at West Ham at the weekend, and there was a one at the end with um Sochek. Now I I was sitting there, and I was sitting next to um Scott Minto, and both of us thought it was it was handball. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't couldn't see it. You you know what it's like from there anyway. You know. You need everybody. Everybody in the media should be given binoculars. They should hand them out binoculars yeah. sometimes. But I was just looking at it, and I should have realised how quick that ball bounced off of him. And yeah. then all of a sudden, you see it, and it comes off of his knee. Yeah. And that's and that's that's the fine margins. And we're we're scrutinising every little bit. Human error. We'd all we accepted human error to a point because we all make mistakes. But now all these all this all these tools are all available you expect it to be like it is with american football what it's mm. like with cricket and what's it like with rugby where there is really rarely mistakes but because football is so subjective mm. there's always there's always going to be issues all the time it's never going to change i was yeah. one of those idiots who thought if they bring in all this far it's going to take away the pub chat after a game because everything's going to be 100 percent correct Mm. It's added to it. It's incredible. I'm sure VAR has caused more fights in pubs and clubs everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Paddy, let me ask you about that. Like, well, as a writer, you're a writer and you're analysing the game. Used to be, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I'm putting you in the position. You're in, your old, in your old fabled position. Yeah, so yeah. You're there, you're looking at it. And yeah, many people have advocated for the change for the introduction of video technology. And I'm not discussing the right or wrong of that, but the mm -hmm. principle of it, like Paul said, was to reduce the margin for error and eliminate the controversy. Mm -hmm. It's not only added to controversy, it's every mm -hmm. single week there's a re redefinition of what the rules are. It's getting ridiculous, isn't yes, it? Yes, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, when Paul said, um, I don't know what the rules are anymore, I think, you know, we're all agreed on that absolutely 100%. But that's because there, aren't, there isn't a rule book. The game is being refereed on the basis of, you know, what referees have cooked up in smoke-filled rooms. We're having to cope with all these phrases like 
unnatural position. It's not in the rule book. So why are referees using all these concepts to uh, make decisions that nobody can verify, nobody can even judge, uh, except, um, you know, on the basis of, of phrases that we have to divine from referees after the game. When the laws of the game were written in, in, of course, they were interpreted, you know, not every contact was a foul and so on, but we, we, got, we kind of understood. Um, now, refereeing is a sort of mystical exercise into which we are not really allowed uh, 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 you know, to take part until afterwards somebody explains that there's some rule book that was hatched up in a private meeting. All referees meetings should be held on television or with television cameras there in order that we may take part in it because at the moment we're just not. And consequently, we get these preposterous decisions. You, you mentioned the Suchek one at... Uh, at uh, West was the West Ham game. Yeah. Now, if we're going to have VAR, and, and I'm not against VAR, it's, what I'm against is this stupid way it's being operated. It's utterly ridiculous. Um, you know, a, a goal can't take place after an accidental handball. Why not? Why not? What's that got to do with VAR? It's just somebody thinking of something because they've got a spare minute. It's absolutely nonsensical. It's nothing to do with football. Absolutely nothing to do with football. If there's an accidental handball in any other situation other than a goal, it's, it's just ignored. But now, because somebody's got nothing else to do, it has to be a reason for, for disallowing a goal. And, and I can't, all, the other thing I can't understand is why people who are involved in refereeing and lawmaking are always so negative. They're always looking for reasons to chalk off a goal. Nobody's looking as they did 20 years ago when people talk about Sepp Blatter. Sepp Blatter knew more about football than all the uh, administrators put together now. Because Sepp Blatter and Michel Platini brought in a, a rule, if there's doubt, it's a goal. Yeah. And that's what we all want. We all want to see goals. We don't want to see lines and, and somebody getting a... A, a, a goal chopped off because of a boot lace, yeah. So, or or an accident, you know, a, a handball by a, an irrelevant player, like you you mentioned yesterday. Sorry, uh, no, I, just, I completely I just, agree. I just I just want the bloody game back, you know. I just want a, a something, or, or, or rewrite the rule book if you like, but at least let us know where we stand. Yeah, and don't change it every game week by week. Do you know? That's the key. That's the key, yeah. Wayne. Yes. Yeah. Um, T2 says Martinez strikes the ball so cleanly it made a big difference without the composure of Casemiro and Eriksson. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to be hoping to watch Leeds play United again without midfielders because, good grief, that was a uh, an endurance test of 180 minutes. Um, <laughs> it might well be, Paul, an endurance test to watch us play Barcelona without midfielders as well. Although we'll have at least Casemiro back. They won 1-0 at Villarreal yesterday with Pedri scoring. It established an 11-point lead for them in La Liga. Uh, but if you look at the numbers, they've conceded just seven goals in 21 games. 
De Jong and Pedri in the middle of the park are bossing things. You've got Gavi and Lewandowski in sensational form. I think a lot of United fans are looking at this, not as a free hit, but kind of like more, there's less pressure on it because of where United are in the league and the position that they've got and the the perception that being eliminated from the Europa League gives us an easier run in the league. And, you know, with the smaller squad, they should be able to handle that run in the league a little bit better, therefore strengthening the Champions League qualification position in that route rather than going down the the Barcelona Europa, Europa League route. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it's one you can afford to lose, but it is at least one you can look at it and say, you can look at it and say this is a, a good test for Tenag rather than catastrophizing over what the potential result might be. Yes, yes. Um, for, for me, I, I, I look at that, that, this game and it seems for some reason Barcelona have got stronger and stronger as it's gone on. Yeah. No, no different to United, to be fair. Both the sides were a bit like that, Barcelona especially, because they put all their eggs into one basket for the Champions League and fell out of bed badly. But maybe coming out of it has, has helped them. It's all of a sudden they've steadied the ship. They're incredible. I mean, what they've gone and done over Real Madrid, because Real Madrid were, you know, last season, head and shoulders above Barcelona. So... So Xavi's come back and he's he's done it. He's done absolutely incredible what he's done. There was a method maybe in the madness of him going away, working the Middle East and coming back because mm. everything it seems him as a player he's brought there as a coach now. Yeah. So, I mean it's it's a fantastic fixture. Fixture. Everyone is looking forward to this game. Everybody will be watching this game. Football people are just watching these two teams, you know, and it yeah. tells you the strength of both these sides and how they're foreseen all over the world. But it's one of them at the moment. It's a, it's a really difficult one to call for me, this this game, and, we, and we, how, how they're going to go about it, how Ten, Ten Hag is going to go about this game, especially, with, you know, with that, the likes of an Ericsson there who we would love in, to be in that midfield. I mean, I think everyone would really because... The midfield is going to be so much guile, industry, improvisation. It's going to be in there. It's going to be fantastic to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I was going to be there for the second leg, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But I won't be. You know, I suppose even if I wanted to now, I couldn't get a ticket. So, um, <laughs> so it, it is a game. It's a game that everybody's everybody's going to want to play in. So, the, you know, the most important thing now is that they, they go in. They go into this game, and everyone's prepared. And they come. They just go there, and and they just come back with some form of result. Really, yeah. that's, that's that's the best way to look at it. I mean, there's no more talking about away goals or anything. Which I don't know if it's a positive or a negative, but mm. you just got to give yourself the best chance of winning. That's that's yeah. all they can do. Really, it's not a lot, lot else to say about it. United are in great, been in great form, even without Casemiro. The last two games they've got through them. So we, uh, that's the most important thing. They've, you know, they've got a win behind them. They've got um, a win and a draw behind them. It's just a shame they couldn't get a performance behind them. But I think without Casemiro at this moment in time in your team, we're not going to go and see any kind of, you know, decent performances because the midfield without Casemiro is like the midfield of last seasons, last season and previous seasons, lacking mm. lacking a lot of creativity, ideas, mm. and discipline. Really. Yeah. yeah. So. He's obviously, he's in on Thursday. He's been wrapped up in cotton wool because of the suspension. I want to, obviously, you're in a position, Paul, where 
And I'm not to, to, I don't know if this is a good or bad memory, but when you played at the new camp for United, no, 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 listen, it's, I'm getting there. I don't know what I'm doing now. I've got an earplug in that one. <laughs> <laughs> listening more intently. Um, right. So when you were preparing to play at the new camp for United, you did it without, you know, there was already the foreigner rule. So you knew that players weren't going to be available. Cantona was suspended. 115,000, which is the biggest attendance that United have ever played in front of in a competitive game. So I, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, United have known that Martinez isn't going to play. They've known that for the entirety of the duration of this game. They've known for a couple of weeks that Ericsson's not going to be a part of it. How does it approach? How does it change your mentality? Because you're obviously one of the players who is going to be playing. How does it change your mentality in the way that you approach that game? Well, I think the last two games come into it. So I think as a player, first and foremost, especially if you're a defensive player, you'll be so pleased that Casemiro's back. Yeah. You'd be so pleased about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'll be, you'll be, I think you'll be quite confident in the sense of, you know, that Luke Shaw will go in that left side and Luke Shaw has, has done incredibly when he's gone in there. In certain ways, I think he's finding it more enjoyable and comfortable playing there. Because the way he the way he wants to play now it is suiting him, <clears throat> and as he goes on in his career, I'm quite sure that's where he's going to end up. Because given Luke Shaw and his body shape, he's not going to want to keep going up and down that line mm. too often. Mm. But I, I always keep saying, even when I do com, you know co commentaries, I always say when I see sides and they're missing key players, I, I would have said it on Wednesday night, is that people just think players get on with it. But they don't. You're human. So when you see, let me, I'll, I'll say, it. so all of a sudden I see that one game going out, we haven't got a Brian Robson. We haven't got, say, we haven't got a Sparky up front. We're missing a Ryan Giggs. And we're going into a big game. And, and then you look at it, who's coming in? You kind of go, and when you've been on, when, you, when you're going through that time, as I was, and you were just treading, treading and stamping people in, and sometimes letting them back up for air, you kind of go in, you, in your mind you're going, we're missing something here. We're missing something. It ain't going to be right. We need to start well. And the moment things go wrong, all of a sudden that inner self will suddenly go, there's no way back because we're missing him. We're missing him. And that happens. Anybody who, no, no player, modern day player is going to admit that now. They're not going to say that in this moment in time. But you yeah. speak to anybody who's played, who's played, who's done their time, they will come out and say it. They'll look at people because we all we all respect great players and, and that's why the likes of Robbo and the Roy and the Eric, when any player who's played with them talks about them, they talk about them up there. There's yeah. no bitterness or any jealousy because you can't be of great players like that and what they the difference they made for a team. I always tell people that when I join United, every time I walked out the tunnel and Robbo was walking out in front, I never felt like I was going to lose. Mm, yeah. so, but then you wonder what what you think about, what's the other team thinking when they walk out the tunnel and they see Robbo and they see Sparky coming yeah. out at that time, saying that, I've been there and done that, and I, you know, when I come out of Old Trafford and I've looked at that one, and yeah, all you want to mm. do is, is not give away a corner inside the first 30 seconds. Because yeah. <laughs> if you do, you suddenly feel that it's not going to go right. So... It's, it is a difficult one, but I just think the position they're in, there'll be, there'll be a lot of belief there, especially with Casemiro coming back after their last two games. 
yeah. the defensive players are going to love it because they know they can give a ball to a player who will take the stress off of them and them how they want to play out the back. And just in the attacking role, I'm sure I'm... Can he play? Can he play, Vigos? Can he play in the... Yeah. Europa. He can play. Yeah. Well, he's going he's gonna to enjoy it because what he does is that uh, Casemiro bounces the ball off of him. Yeah. And that's what he does. And that's what United will miss him with Ronaldo up front because Ronaldo, as much as he, he was playing in a centre-forward role, he wasn't a centre-forward. He, he couldn't bounce the ball off of him because yeah. it wasn't him. He wanted, to, he wanted to try and do a trick and spend a bit more. He, vehicle, he knows his strength. He controls pass and he spins. Yeah. He knows he's never going to run behind, but he spins. And the reason why he spins is to, so he takes someone with him to create space and maybe someone to creep forward five yards. And mm. that's why, that's, and, and sorry, I've, I've diversed a bit, but Ten Hag brought him in to create yeah. space for yeah. other people. He wanted someone who's going to be unselfish, create space, and just do a bit of hard graft across the line. Even the slight, you know, you know, a millionth of a second of a team playing the ball forward can help out your defenders and save the midfield having to turn around and run towards their own goal. And it's that's why you I mean. What, what you just said, Paul, about Weghorst, and, and I was astonished because I, th I saw him play for, I think, uh, was it Norwich or someone? Burnley. Uh, yeah. Burnley, was it? Yeah, yeah Burnley. And, and he played uh, in Holland as well. And I couldn't see anything. And I thought, what, Man United? And yet, that tweak has made a big difference to Manchester United, as for the reasons that Paul's just explained. Uh, and I think, is it true, Paul, that, that when a manager does something clever like that, and, and, and I don't suppose many of the other players in the squad expected Weghorst to, to be an asset to the team in the way he is. They maybe thought he was there for numbers, for the bench or something like that. And, and he's made such a difference. Do When players see a manager do a little tweak like that and think, uh-oh, I'm going to listen to this bloke. He knows football. Is, 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 is that kind of thing, um, does that kind of thing make a difference to a dressing room? Oh, with, without a doubt. Without a doubt. First of all, the moment it got whispered around what he was going to do, <clears throat> if there was 10 players in that dressing room, Seven of them would have just said all these words going, what? Yeah. When he played for Burnley, what about that? Oh, they would have been shaking their heads, really? But there'd have been some, the clever ones, the ones who watch yeah. a bit of football, they will go, they'll remember what he'd done during the World Cup. Yeah. yeah. And they'll think, oh, he's quite, he's quite clever, him. Yeah. And, but then they would have thought, they would have already been trusting their manager and what he's done. Yeah. Already. So... What he's done, Ten Hag, is that he's brought in players. Everyone bought into those players he's brought in because performances and results done that. So whoever he brings in now, everyone is, is, is going to be now thinking, hold on a minute, I'm, I'm going to respect this decision. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's what's happened. So when I get people come up to me, and I get people come up to me, they talk about United and they go, oh, that vehicle, so he's poor. People are looking for a Mark Hughes. They're, they're suddenly thinking, oh, well, well, Ronaldo could do that and could do that. Yes, he could do. He could do that to a point. But the problem yeah. is he couldn't do what the manager wanted now in the way he, the way he wants to play now with the players he's got it, around him. Now, if he was to be able to, in the summer, go out 
and bringing in maybe four players, he would be bringing in four players who could play in the first team. Yeah. yeah he wouldn't sure. be bring. He wouldn't be bringing in players to fit into, to to work in a squad because that doesn't make any sense to me. Because the yeah. ones, you know, so so he's got to be bringing in players to to threaten the players in there because yeah. certain players have reacted to it. Luke Shaw is the biggest reaction. Yeah. Because he saw, he saw him coming, um, Malassia, and he thought, wow, blimmin' hell. And, and he started and he went, oh. And now Malassia, when he comes in, he does a good job, but Luke Shaw has to start before him. That was mm. positive. Yeah. So I just, I just think at this moment in time, United are in a really good position with the right man. And he's not a head coach. He's an actual manager. Yeah. Yeah. He manages. Sure. You know, yeah. you know, you know. Every every club's having his coaches and that, and you see all these. You hear, you hear all these little stories and that. The stories that are coming out you know, out of out of United, Patrick, was something I've never never known before. I couldn't believe what was going on, and it mm-hmm. was coming through from sneaky players, mm-hmm. players who were telling their best mates or members or their families, maybe to, I'll tell them this and maybe get them just to pull it out and all this kind of social yeah. media jargon yeah. doing that. Yeah. Some of them, maybe someone might have done it, maybe one of them by accident, someone trusted, let them down. But that's the way things go. It doesn't mm. happen. Any, it's not happening anymore. And yeah. the main reason why it's not happening is because Manchester United are winning games of football. There's yeah. no excuses. No one can make, make any excuse at the moment in time. No one can moan about anything or knock on the manager's door because they're winning games and they've been winning them well. Mm-hmm. And that stop that stops all the little sneaks. You know, the bitter mm-hmm. ones in the dressing room, you can never whinge up when you're playing rubbish and not winning games and everyone goes, Yeah, you're right, you're right. The moment mm-hmm. everything's like that, going fine, those people start whinging and maybe one of the the head boys there turn around and gives them gives them a look. Mm-hmm. And they and they know to shut up. And mm-hmm. I've and I've and I've seen that happen in that Manchester United dress room when a captain told a player in front of all of us to behave himself, otherwise he'll make, otherwise he'll make sure and he'll, and he'll do him in. Because mm. he didn't want that player bringing in, sorry, he didn't want that player to sour, sour the barrel that was there. Mm. You know? and, that's the, and that's the difference. Winning games of football makes an incredible difference in the dressing room. Yeah. Very, very quickly before we close off, um, Jemel says, I think Gemwell or Gemwell, uh, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, acid, was it at the start of the second half where Vegas went to the number 10? I think it was the 60, I think it was 70 minutes when they made the changes, but I think that's when it, um, Tenog made the substitutes, that's when he moved, when he put Garnacho on, took Sancho off and moved Bruno around. Um, one very last point, Paddy, before we, we end, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Barcelona game for United. Is it is it critical that they win? Is it more an interest on how how far they've come? To, to yeah, I was, I was listening to the way that, that, that you, you're sort of approaching it. And, and I, it's easy for me to say, but I don't think there's any danger to the top four. To the top to, to Manchester United finishing in the top four, not particularly because I don't think it's possible that United could have a, a mini slump in form between now and the end of the season. Of course, that can happen to any team, but because of the inconsistent form of the, their competitors, uh, apart from Newcastle, obviously, and uh, and Manchester City, perhaps, um, I think Manchester United will finish. Top of the um, in the top four, definitely. I would, 
um, I would bet my, um, not my reputation, I bet even, I bet something valuable on it. I bet a quid. Um, but uh, I would, I, I honestly, um, I think, you know, treat this game as part of Manchester United's history. When Manchester United play Barcelona, don't play games with it. Throw everything into it. Because, as you say, the world will be watching. I mean, I've got, I can show you my diary here. It's got a star next to that game and it's had a star next to it for weeks. Because although I'm not a Barcelona supporter or a Manchester United supporter, when that game takes place, I have to watch it. And so I think, you know, all tactical, you know, all thoughts about uh, about what, what to do about the game. Should you play your full team? Of course you do. Um, and, 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 and you were saying Casemiro's been kept in, in cotton wool. Of course, because of this game, because of his knowledge of Barcelona. Um, yeah. You know, I, I th he'll, want to, he'll want to play. I mean, he's, he's a great professional. I mean, but you'll want to play even 10% above 100% in this game because it's Barcelona. So I think, uh, I think absolutely, because normally... You know, I showed you the asterisk next to this game in my diary. Normally, it's only Dundee games that I put an asterisk next to. So this is this is it's that big. It's bigger than a Dundee game. No, so you're joking about it's um, I, I absolutely. Um, will United win overall? I noticed you plugged your book, Wayne. Paul's uh, put out. Uh, uh, come uh, help me with a ticket for the second leg. Very clever that. Very clever. It wasn't. In, it wasn't intentional, but trust me. <laughs> but that's that's how important it is. I mean, really. Um, and and do I think Manchester United? I think Manchester United will respect Barcelona because of the the very consistent uh, league form, which Paul was at eleven points now. I didn't know that. Um, I think Barcelona will be scared of Manchester United's pace up front, yeah. in particular Rashford. So I think. Uh, I think Manchester United over two legs will win this. Wow, that's a very bold prediction. Um, yeah, we're going to be looking forward to that for sure. Um, I've got a ticket for the away leg, Paul, and I'd love to, uh, the home leg, I should say, not away. Fortunately, not travelling to Spain. If I could give it you, I would. And I know, fair, you'll probably twist my arm to do that. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay has... Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, yeah, I don't think I'll be giving that one up. No. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, cheers for the guys today for their time. Um, if you've enjoyed watching live on YouTube or Facebook, um, feel free to comment after the show. We still reply to the comments. If you're watching the replay, um, do that, please. And if you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on the platform you're listening on. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, until next week, stay safe, stay well. And thanks for listening and watching. Thank you. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.